0: And this is the privilege of now starting the New Testament, because as we start the New Testament, you are in uh, a part of the Bible that I've never taught before. I've taught all the Old te- I've taught the Minor Prophets five, six times. I- I've taught Jeremiah twice, Lamentations a whole bunch of times, Ezekiel twice, all these Old Testament books I've taught over and over again. This is the first time that I get the privilege of teaching the New Testament. What I get the privilege of doing is introducing you to the very first chapter of the very first book of the New Testament. But before we get there, we have a short journey. There, there's this 400 years of interlude between Malachi And Matthew. And I told you two weeks ago that there's going to be this in between a time of silence when God didn't give a single word to the people of Israel. We're going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and then we'll get into the book of Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, and, and Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon, and by her who had been the wife of Uriah, Solomon begot Rehoboam, begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uz- Uzziah. begot Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, and Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Verse 12. So they were brought to Babylon. Jeconiah begot uh, Shetiel, and Shetiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Uh Abayad. Abayad begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zaduk, and Zaduk begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliad. Eliad begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Mathan. Mathon begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. And so, Father, as we approach your majestic word as we go through these genealogies that on the surface are very detailed are extremely foreign to us not knowing a lot of these names or even how to pronounce a lot of these names and so lord as we approach this majestic book lord of powerful prophecies being fulfilled i ask that you would speak to us clearly even in a genealogy lord because there's no single word of your word that ever goes without return there's no single word in your word that is without void or is unprofitable lord so lord tonight as we approach this book i ask that you speak to us clearly with your power bless these my friends my family tonight in jesus name we pray Amen and amen. I don't know about you, but genealogies are hard, right? Especially names that you don't know anything about, or I don't know anything about. This is a list of a whole bunch of people. It's amazing how Matthew brings out this genealogy at the very beginning of his book. You have to go through the first 17 verses to get to the rest of the book. The book of Luke doesn't do this. It it, it puts its genealogy further into the book. Matthew puts it right at the beginning. And the reason why is because Matthew is one of those gospels, the very first of the gospels that is written after 400 years of silence. Can, can you imagine not receiving a single word from God? Just silence from God. Remember when we were in the book of Amos, Amos chapter 8, verse 12, we read this. People will wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of Yahweh, but they will for 400 years, There has not been a single word written. There hasn't been a single book written, a single prophet from God speaking to the people of Israel. It is a time of desolation. And when Malachi ends, there's this time of extreme silence. Now, does that mean that God wasn't there? No, God was with them every single step. Of the way in history bears this out, actually. In fact, there's a whole group of books called "The Apocrypha," uh, that we don't have in our Bible. They're not canon, if you will, uh, but they are very true historical works. They talk about this time of silence, this 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. You guys remember that the Assyrians, they came in and they sacked the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC Babylonians they came in and they conquered Judea sacked and completely annihilated the city of Jerusalem in 586 BC and then during the time of Daniel you have what are called the Medes and the Persians and then after the Persians you have this guy by the name of Alexander the Great and he led the Greeks and so the, during this 400 year time period we have a nation that comes in and rules over the Judean uh, provinces, the Greeks. The first of these Greeks were very good to the people of Israel. The, these were called the uh, or P-T-O-L-M-E-M-I-E-S, the Ptolemies, And these were a group of Greeks that not only wanted the Judean region to flourish, but also helped them to do it. But unfortunately, in about 166 BC, another group of Greeks came in called the Seleucid, and they treated Judea horrifically. In fact, one of their kings by the name of Antiochus IV in 167 BC actually came in and sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem, defiling the altar itself in fact this was predicted by daniel that someone would come in and do this and so now from 167 all the way for another hundred years there there's this desolation of abomination that is there in the temple grounds until the romans come in and you guys know the romans right and in fact we're introduced them in the book of Matthew were introduced to them in the New Testament. We didn't see them in the Old Testament, but we're going to see them in the New Testament. And so from 66 B.C. all the way through the whole amount of the entire New Testament, now is this new government power called the Romans. And during this time, the Romans could be good And they could be bad, depending upon how the Jews treated them. In fact, many people objected to the persecution. They rebelled. And during this time of rebellion, it was called the Maccabean Revolt. In fact, there's four books called the Maccabees in the Apocrypha that talk about Judah and his four sons who became these leaders in Israel that led revolts against the Greeks and also against the Romans as well, was God with the people of Israel despite the fact that he was silent. In fact, throughout the entire 400 years, God walked and protected the people of Israel. Until we get to the book of Matthew, and now all of a sudden there's this light that comes on. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the good news, the light of who Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is. There's also another group of people that came into being during this 400 years of silence. Uh, We're introduced to the Pharisee and the Sadducee. We, We never saw a single Pharisee or a single Sadducee in the Old Testament. But yet, when we get to the New Testament, during this 400 years of a vacuum, 400 years of no prophets, 400 years of silence, guess what comes up? Human religion. Where where these people would come in and they would expand or subtract from the law. In fact, the Pharisees, they loved to add to the law. And the Sadducees, they subtracted from uh, the law. In fact, as we're going to see when we're in the New Testament, the Pharisees added such weight to the people during this time of a vacuum where God wasn't speaking that it weighed heavily upon the people. And this too created a desire for the people of Israel to want to hear the word of God. Matthew chapter one, uh, verse one, we're introduced to a huge genealogy. I, I don't know if you've ever read through maybe the Bible in a year. And, and you normally have to read three chapters a day, five chapters on Sunday. Normally you have either an Old Testament part and a New Testament part, and you have to go through a certain section and you have to do your checks, right? And you come to certain sections in the Bible, maybe it's the numbers, maybe it's certain genealogies, and you just skim through it. And it's so easy to skim through genealogy. But genealogies are the best part of the Bible. Do you know why? Because they're proof of who Jesus Is for the Jewish mind genealogies were actually stories of the history of the nation of Israel. I'm just going to read some of the meanings here, starting in Matthew chapter one, there with Abraham. Okay, Abraham means father of many or glorious father, Jacob means he laughed triumphantly. Isaac, excuse me, he laughed. A uh, jacob or israel means a friend of god judah means praise or worship perez means breaking forth zara rising of light tamar means erect hezron courtyard a ram of great height amenadab a people offering freely Neshan prophecy salmon a garment boaz whip strings, obed who serves the lord jesse is here stand out and exist a a literal story within uh, the genealogy in fact If you want these notes, they're going to be posted, always are posted with the the sermon if you're online or if you would like to look up the notes later, or you can just ask me in a first person, ask me, you'll get my notes tonight. Look ahead just a little bit, okay? Look ahead to Jehoram. His name means exalted whom the Lord raised up. Second Chronicles chapter 21, verses 4 through 7, we learn about Jehoram. Now, when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself. Look what he does. And killed all his brothers with the sword and also others of the princes of Israel. Multiple times within this genealogy, there are points of very close extermination of the line of David. The, where, where multiple times the line of David could have ended completely, completely cut off. But who is there to protect the line, the lineage, the proof of Jesus Christ the Messiah? The Messiah had to come through the line of David, right? He he had to be born of a virgin. He had to come through. The Davidic line, he had to be a king and a priest at the same exact time. He had to fulfill prophecy. This is why Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than any of the other Gospels. The reason why there's a genealogy at the beginning of Matthew is because the Jews are looking for proof of the Messiah. To the Jewish mind, Matthew writing to the Jews, there had to be powerful, prophetic proof of who the Messiah was. Now, now for us, the book of John, there's no genealogies in the book of John. There's no genealogies even in the book of Mark, because they were written to the Greeks or to the Gentiles. But only in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke do you have these amazing genealogies. Look at the rest of the Second Chronicles there. Verse 5, Jerome was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, yet the Lord would not destroy the house of david because of the covenant that he had made with david and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever who protected the line who protected the lineage god every single step and when you actually look and remember all the way back and of course it's very difficult to remember all these names but to go back and look at just a couple of these names and see how God protected the lineage. The importance of the lineage. Look at the next name, Ahaziah. The Lord took hold of me is the definition of Ahaziah. Second Chronicles chapter 22, we read about Ahaziah. Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, She arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. Again, another point of almost extreme extermination of the Davidic line. All all the royal heirs. What does that mean? Everyone that was related to the lineage of David is about ready to be killed until God steps in. Look at what it says there. But Jehoshabeth. The daughter of the king took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons, who were being murdered, and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was the sister of Heaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not kill him, and he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land did god protect the lineage did god work in every single aspect over this long period of this genealogy that so many times we just skip over there there's such depth look at sheotil it says i have asked god about this is right before Zerubbabel, whom we learned about when we were in Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. In fact, he's the the uncle, if you will, of Zerubbabel. In First Chronicles chapter three, verse nineteen, it says, "The sons of Pedeiah was Zerubbabel and Shimei, and the sons of Zerubbabel were Meshulam and Hananiah and, and Shelomith, their sister." In fact, we learn that Shilteiel died without an heir. As the king or the governor from the line of David, he dies without a son. And because of the way that the Bible, the Old Testament, the law is written, if a person died without a son, one of his brothers had to step in. And so even though his dad dies or his uncle dies. The one that was supposed to be the leader or the ruler, his brother comes in. Because of the law, the miraculous way that the Lord works out all these amazing ways of stopping the extermination of a complete line of David. How, how miraculous is every single one of these steps? Look at Zerubbabel. It means born in Babylon. Abiad means father of praise. Eliakim, God will raise. Azor, a helper. Zadok, the just one. Achim, God will establish. Eliad, my God is my praise. Eleazar, God is the helper. Nathan, may the gift of Jacob, Joseph increase. Yeshua, Jesus, God, say, or salvation. Every single one of this amazing line leading up to who Jesus is. There's also something else that's interesting in here. And it's the way that Matthew brings out the numbers. Look at the very last part of this section here. In fact, in verse 16 and 17 there, excuse me, verse 17, it says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are what? 14 generations. And from David until the captivity in Babylon are what? 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon... Until the Christ are 14 generations, three sections of 14 evenly divided from Abraham to David to Babylon to the New Testament. Now, it's interesting because 14 is two sevens, right? How many sevens are there in this list? Two, two, and two. There's six sevens. Now, this is just a thought, okay? This is just an opinion, if you will. This, I haven't seen it anywhere else. But if you were to look at this, the number six means man. The number seven means God or perfection. The way that God uses man to bring about what? Perfection. Six sevens. Six sets of seven. Isn't that amazing? How, how God can use not only the definitions, not only the way that He stops the extermination of the lineage multiple times, but how He uses the exact number of people between Abraham and Jesus to bring about this miraculous person, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Six, man. Seven, perfection, or God, incarnate as man. And then the definition of his name, Jesus, means what? Salvation. Coming to the earth as salvation. The next thing we find out in the book of Matthew is who the focus is. The side, if you will. Uh, and we, we all know that the parents, the earthly parents of Jesus were who? Mary and Joseph, right? This lineage that is in here, if you were to compare it to the book of Luke, is very different at certain points. It's not the same name. Oh yeah, there's there's David, there, there's still Abraham, there's still Adam. There There's certain parts that are the same, but there's certain parts that are different. Do you know why that is? I'm sure a lot of you know this, but Matthew focuses on the lineage of Joseph and Luke focuses on the lineage of Mary. In fact, when you go to the book of Luke, you're going to find stories that you're not going to find in the book of Matthew because it's from the perspective of Mary. Matthew, we get the perspective of Joseph. In fact, Whenever we read in uh, the book here, we're going to find out the perspective from the eyes of Joseph himself. It's going to be Gabriel that comes to who? Joseph. It's going to be Joseph that that protects Jesus. It's going to be Joseph who is the one that is through the eyes or the perspective that we see Matthew writing from. Look at verse 18 there, chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Whose perspective are we seeing the story through? it's Joseph. When you go to the book of Luke, it's from the perspective of Mary. It's Mary that goes to her cousin, Elizabeth. It's Mary that we see as the one who sings the song. It's Mary's perspective that we see in uh, the book of Luke. But in the book of Matthew, we see it from the line of, or the perspective of, Joseph. Do you know why that is? for the jewish mind again understanding that both parents had to be from the line of david and even though joseph wasn't jesus's real dad biological dad he still came from the line of david now the interesting thing here is Matthew, the writer of this book. And whenever you read a book, you always need to understand the perspective of the author. Matthew was a Jew of Jews. In fact, his name, his Judean name or Jewish name was Levi. Remember when we, and we're going to see this when we're in the various uh, lists here, that Matthew was just his Gentile name, if you will, or his nickname, if you will. His real name was Levi, from the lineage of Levi, the tribe of Levi. In fact, what did Matthew do for his occupation? You guys know this. He was a tax collector. What do tax collectors do? Do we like tax collectors? It's one of those occupations that requires a lot of calculations. He was very good with numbers, right? He was very detailed-oriented. In fact, he worked for the Roman government against the Jews. In fact, it's Jesus that finds Matthew, the tax collector, collecting taxes from the Jews for the Roman government. And being a numbers guy, he knew how much to charge them in order for him to make a profit. And of course, the Jews hated him for that because he was profiting off of the extortion of the Jews. Now, Matthew, understanding the Jewish perspective, writes this story from the perspective of the dad, Joseph. The the one who wasn't the biological dad, but yet was still the dad of Jesus. The the one who raised Jesus. The the one who came alongside Jesus at his birth and protected him. The, The one who, even though he wasn't his biological dad, taught him a trade taught him how to work, taught him the scriptures as he would rise and as he was going to sleep, as he was caring for the Son of God, not his blood, not his flesh, but the one for whom he was the caretaker of on the earth. The the dad. Look at the way that Matthew shows the perspective from the eyes, of Joseph, verse nineteen. Then Joseph, her husband, being a what kind of a man was Joseph? A just man. In fact, this is really the only description that we have of Joseph character-wise in terms of the whole Bible, the whole gospel. This is the the character that we get in two words of what Joseph was like. We, we don't know how he died. We don't even know how long he lived. We don't even know how old he was when he was given this responsibility of raising the Son of God. But we do know one thing about Joseph. He was a just And it comes out in the character of the way that Matthew describes Joseph. A just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. A a, a just man, even though him and Mary were not married, him finding out, knowing that he had never slept with her, knowing that he had never had relations with her, finds her with child, and what does he want to do for her? Not to make her a public spectacle, not to somehow shame her, which he could have done legally, but what does he do instead? He wants to protect her as the just man he He could have walked away, but by a, by every legal means, he could have just walked away. but what does he do instead? He is a just. Man, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting again, who does he call Joseph's dad? He doesn't say, oh, you're the son of Jacob, which if you go back to the list, was his real dad. He, he doesn't say you're the son of some other person. Who does he go back to as proof of the lineage, the power of the lineage, the majesty of the lineage? Who does he go back to? David. You're from the line of David. There's majesty in your line and your son is the king. Your son is the son of David, Emmanuel, God incarnate. Look at what it says there in the rest of that verse. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. Everybody from the time of Adam, from the fall, have been waiting for this child. The, the one for whom all the genealogies in the entire Bible are pointing to. Who is that? The Messiah. The Son of God. The Anointed One. The One who was promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden, the very fall itself. Just just absolutely mind-blowing. Look at what it says there in verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. Why would Joseph have been afraid to take Mary as his wife? It's those big decisions that we have in our life. Just listening to the Lord, these moments of decision that we all have to make, these moments of periods in our life where I need to make a decision or I need to make a choice, if you will. And one of those key choices, of course, is who you marry, right? Definitely. Hopefully, this is one of the choices that you actually have to think about, right, or make a strong decision about because it's going to affect you for the rest of your life. And what is Joseph having to do with Mary? Is this going to change his life? This decision, yeah. Because as all of you, every single Christmas time, we always talk about this. What was the perspective of Mary? By everybody else, not of Joseph. Joseph was respected as a just man. Remember, jo- Joseph is a just man. What did they think of Mary, though? She she committed infidelity, right? She slept with someone outside of the marriage. She has a son who was considered a bastard, right? Illegitimate, and who is the one? that is taking them under his wing as the just man? It's Joseph. And do you think people talked behind his back? Oh, yeah. And could he have skipped all that? Could he have skipped all the humiliation? Could he have skipped all that legally and still as a just man walking away? Yeah. But what does he do instead? He stands up for what is right. He obeys. The angel, he obeys God. Look at there in verse 21. She will bring forth a son. Before ultrasounds, by the way. God's telling him who he's going to have. You shall call his name what? Jesus. Remember salvation. God saved. For he will save his people from there, what Again, what the entire Old Testament is pointing to right here in the very first chapter of the New Testament is prof- prophecy Oh yeah and it's amazing how so many times we just skip over a lot of this stuff we we read this every single year at Christmas time, every single year, and and it's so easy. To, be, to just skim over these things or, or just to think lightly of these things. But can you imagine for 400 years not hearing anything from the, word, from, the, uh, from the Lord, and now your son is going to be the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament? How powerful is that? Matthew, as we, we walk through the book of Matthew, the subtitle, if you will, is prophetic power powerful prophecies that are being fulfilled before our very eyes as we go through the book of when when you read ahead hopefully this week when you read ahead in your studies in the book of matthew and when you see all these old testament verses that are being brought up by matthew in fact matthew brings up more old testament verses than any of the other gospels Again, as proof of the power of prophecy. God is fulfilling prophecy in their midst as Matthew is writing this book. What is the Messiah going to do? Save what? His people from their sins. Now, you all know John 3.16, right? What does John 3.16 say? For God's that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Who, who did Jesus come to? We know in John 3.16, the world, right? Why does John bring out the world? Because he's writing to the Gentiles. Who does Matthew bring out? Who does Matthew bring out? It says it right there in the very last part of of verse 21. Who does he bring? And and many people misinterpret this, okay? it's, It's the perspective of Matthew. Who is he writing to? The Jews. Who is the Messiah coming for? The anointed one to save who? His people from their sins. Now, unfortunately, the Jews misinterpreted this. Who did they think the people of God were? Who did the Jews think the people of God were? Themselves, right? The Jewish nation. Who is the Messiah coming for? And this is where the privilege of understanding all of Scripture, he comes for the earth. He comes for the world, right? He comes for his people to save us. People that aren't even Jewish. Isn't that amazing? You're included in this his people. Isn't that amazing? Now, Matthew does this. He does this very suddenly throughout the book of Matthew. Yes, he emphasizes the Jews. Yes, he emphasizes the Old Testament. Yes, he writes from the perspective of the Jewish mind, a very analytical Jewish mind, a person who is very detailed, oriented, knows numbers. He, we have more numbers in the book of Matthew than any, again, any of the other gospels. We have a lot of these different numerology or numbers that we see scattered throughout the book of Matthew, very detailed in terms of the history of the Jews bringing out that flavor as we walk through. But also, he subtly infuses all the ways that God is going to fulfill prophecy, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. You're included in this too. Did you know that? In fact, if you go back to the genealogy, what is the very first name in the genealogy? Abraham. He starts with Abraham. And this is amazing. As we go through this and through the parables and we go through the various lessons that Jesus gives to the people of Israel, what did Jesus say that he could do to the rocks? I can make these rocks what? Sons of Abraham you've rejected god that there's been 400 years where you've just sought yourself your human religion and made it bigger and have made it in such a way that it is extremely hard for anyone to come and what does jesus do tears it all it's interesting also as we walk through this to see The perspective of how Jesus treats certain people. You'll see Jesus being extremely kind, and you'll see him extremely angry. Do you know who he's kind to? The ones that are in need. The sinners. The outcasts. The ones that are hurting inside. Do you know who he's all, every single time, by the way, every single time, you know who he's always angry at? Religious leaders, the Pharisee, the Sadducee. These are the ones that Jesus gets angry at. Why? Because they're burdening the people with the law. And Jesus is coming to free them from the law. Just a couple more verses there. We'll we'll finish the first chapter here. Verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Why is Matthew writing? What is the purpose? We saw the genealogy, and we, we saw the perspective of Joseph, and now we see the purpose statement, if you will, of Matthew. Why is he writing this book? Is the fulfillment of powerful prophecy. power being incarnate there on the earth, where prophetic prophecies are being fulfilled right in their midst. And Matthew is the eyewitness account of it by the way. In fact, only two of the gospels, two of the original authors of the New Testament, if you will, were eyewitness accounts. Matthew, he was a disciple. He walked with Jesus for three full years. He was there from the beginning, and he was there at the end. And you know who the other one? You all know who the other one was, right? John, right? John was the other one. Luke wasn't an eyewitness account. All of his accounts are from the perspective of either Mary or, or from other people that he interviewed. And the same thing with Mark. Mark wasn't an eyewitness account. Mark wasn't an original disciple of Jesus Christ. He came later when Paul and Barnabas took him on the very first missionary journey. He, he was just a, a young guy. And he writes one of the Gospels as well, but also from the perspective of other eyewitnesses or third-hand hand accounts, if you will. It's Matthew and the book of John that give us eye. Witness account out of all the other new testament books it's matthew that gives us this eyewitness account why does god choose matthew over all the other disciples other than john why doesn't he choose andrew why didn't he choose peter Or why didn't he choose one of the other, maybe more well-known or more mentioned of the disciples? Why does he choose math? You may ask the same question of yourself. Why does God choose you? Why, why, Why did God choose me to do what I do? Whether it's a gift that you have or some sort of something that God has called you to, why has God given you this task? This fulfillment. You may think you're not worthy. I've made mistakes. I, I failed just like Matthew. Do you know why? It's always for God's glory. It's always for God's glory. It, it's always because God wants to use you. God, God wants to come into your life and to be used by you. Look what it says there, and you'll see this. It's amazing how it brings this out. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with uh, From the perspective of Matthew, he understood the Jewish mind and he understood the Roman mind. In fact, in the book of Matthew, we find the translations of Hebrew words explained for the common person. For the Jew, they knew what Emmanuel, they didn't need a translation of Emmanuel. They knew. They knew the prophecies from Isaiah 7. They knew who the Messiah was. They knew that the Emmanuel meant God with us. But why is Matthew translating it? For you, for us, Gentiles, that have no clue what it means, right? Don't know a single word of Hebrew. And yet Matthew, being one who was a Jew that worked for Romans, worked for Gentiles, what does he do? He translates it for us. What did Matthew have to do as his job? He had to take what was Jewish and translate it into the Roman understanding. He he had to take what was Roman and translate it for the Jews and he had to do it fluently like that in his brain. He worked for both and betrayed both, by the way, too. Do do you understand why God chooses certain people, even our flaws and our failure? It's always for His glory. Always for His glory. And so again, in the book of Matthew, we see more quotations from the Old Testament, but we also see more translations for the Gentile mind. Helping us to understand it. The Gentiles. Verses 24 and 25, will end it here. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep, again from the perspective of who? From the perspective of Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. A just man. Again, a character of Joseph. No one knows this, by the way. This is all behind closed doors. A just man always stands up for what is right, no matter what, even if no one sees it. who was the only one who were the only people that knew what went on behind closed doors, who was the only one, Joseph and Mary that's it and, and and you see the perspective of a just man a a, a man. That was chosen by God to be the caretaker of his son, despite the fact that he didn't share any blood with that son. Proof in the very last two verses. Did did Joseph do anything in any way to touch Mary before they were married or before she gave birth to Jesus? no again proof that this is the son of god so hopefully as we walk through the book of matthew and we're going to see this over and over again the privilege of walking through the very first of the gospels the book of matthew hopefully as you read this hopefully whether you listen to this again just remember the certain bringing out certain things this is written for the jewish mind okay this is written from the perspective of a jew who worked for romans this this is written from the very word of god coming from the old testament and being shown not only to the jews but also explained for the gentiles as well powerful prophecies being fulfilled in this very book so hopefully as you read the book of matthew again as we walk through the book of Matthew together, you're going to appreciate these things. You're going things uh, come forth. It will truly be a a privilege. And so father, tonight as we in this first chapter of a very powerful book that's filled with prophecies that uh, are 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 prophetically and powerfully explained in the book of Matthew. Open our eyes Help us to see. Help us not to approach Matthew like we would so many times when we do approach uh, the Bible. Lord, help us as we read through this book, as we study this book, to, to have our hearts transformed, to be changed. that To see prophecies being fulfilled in this amazing book. And then also to see how you use us as well. How you brought Jesus into this world as salvation, the anointed one, the Messiah, born of a lineage that could have been exterminated multiple times in multiple points, and yet your prophetic word powerfully protected that lineage. Now you do the same thing in our own life, Lord. You work powerfully through the things that you tell us. Lord, help us to have that same perspective that Joseph had, being a just man, uh, standing up for what is right, standing up for what is true. Lord, knowing that you sent Jesus Christ even for Joseph, that babe that he was taking care of, that young boy that he trained, that young boy that he he um, you know invested his entire life into and raised as his own. Saved him as well. Came to the earth for him too. And you do for us. And we thank you for that. Jesus, salvation. We too need salvation from you. So Lord, help us to be grateful for you. Help us to be grateful for your son. Help us to be for Jesus coming to the earth. And, and even though it's only September to realize that this Christmas story is true even today. So, Lord, I ask that you would change us to help us to be different than when we came in. We would actually apply these things to our lives. Lord, bless these, my friends. My family, it's so good to be able to say to bless them again. Lord, I ask that you would use us for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.